morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for turning up so early, despite the muddy elements, uh, many of which I have on my shoes and trousers. Uh, this is a very exciting panel of ridiculously talented people, um, and I'm very, very excited to be talking to all, I was gonna say all five of them, but uh, Justine can't uh, make it because she's with a major label now, and so she can't <laughs> sort of I'm sure she'll be here, but we don't know where she is. But it's fine, we're gonna start without her. Um, can, I'm just gonna ask everyone to introduce themselves from, uh, from my right and then down the line, just so that we know who everyone is, so. Cool, I'm Pedram, I play guitar in Frontier, and I'm Greg, I play guitar for Carbomb. I'm Serena Cherry, I play guitar, and I do the shouty vocals in Svalbard. I'm Rabia, and I play guitar in Tosca. And this is our panel! Um, so I think all of these bands have a sort of DIY ethic of sorts. Um, but it's kind of interesting to know what DIY even is in these days of no major labels. I mean, 20 years ago we had six major labels and now we only have three. Um, and I'm just wanting to ask anyone really, this is to anybody who wants to take this, like what is the difference these days between being a DIY band on either a small label or no label and being on a major? I, I think from my knowledge of Greg, previously being with Relapse, maybe in a good uh -huh. position to kind of comment on, you know, that experience and then doing more DIY stuff with that label now. So, I mean, how do you? I don't know. It was, we didn't really get much support from Relapse because they had so many bands and, you know, they were focusing on Mastodon and all that stuff. And we were sort of like a niche band anyway. So, to us, it's kind of the same to do it yeah. DIY versus a label. I mean, no matter what you do, you have to bust your ass, you know, so nobody gets a free ride, even if you're on a major. I mean, I would argue those people work the most. Oh, you know? really? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because they get work by the label. Absolutely, yeah. Like, they're on the road constantly because they have to pay back certain, you know, responsibilities or obligations that they've agreed with for the label, and there's other, you know, they ha everybody, it, there's a bigger ecosystem that you're taking care of, so you have to work harder to support yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and in terms of like, I mean, you guys have never sort of, you, you seem to always want to do things in the DIY tradition, or at least you have done. I'm not sure if that's on purpose or... or uh... I'm a control freak. Oh, okay. What can I okay. say? So is there an element of like, you wouldn't ever want to be on a label because it would be too much uh, control taken away from you? Oh, or? no, Universal, sign me up. Here I am. <laughs> I don't know, uh, in honesty. I see bands signing to major labels, and I see, like you say, the, the extra pressure that comes with that, and suddenly you're not your own thing anymore. It's other people's jobs um, that are also affected by everything you do. So, and I do wonder, unless you're, I, th I do think, unless you're a huge band who's had that career of say the last 20 years so if you span back to the days when you had to buy a record to be able to hear it those bands are always going to have the clout and the attention and the sort of pull that bands coming up through the ranks nowadays don't have and when you're on a major label you're competing with those who are going to get 
the funding for press and the funding for the good PR, so it's easy to get lost um, beneath the bigger bands on a major label. But then you also see bands signing to major labels uh, like Employed to Serve, and they're doing great, like um, playing so many shows and doing all these great tours and things. So I think there's definitely pros and cons. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with everything you just said. But I think also, you going back to you saying the difference between you know being on one and not being one, all that kind of stuff. I think when you when you're doing it yourself, it's you're relying on the same group of people every time. You know exactly what everyone does, um, and I guess it's it's a collected interest to just try and push things as far as you can go, compared to from what I understand of people that are, are signed, you kind of just, stuff's happening in the background that you don't know what's going on. And then you get told certain things are happening for you and told certain things have to be met. And I don't know, I'm not saying it's a bad way to do it because it works for so many bands all yeah. the time. But like you said, you have to be big. And I think if people really like your music and you hit at the right time, that will carry you over that first massive hill of taking the hit that comes with you know, other people taking control, I suppose. But there are there are other ways to get some sort of um, fame or infamy. I mean, Bea, you are like YouTube star extraordinaire, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. Fuck yeah. Well, that's just a different... Uh, from my experience into doing all of this kind of stuff, it's from that side of it. Okay. So coming from YouTube, you know, like just making videos about gear, you know, just through meeting the people that I met, it, I think I was fortunate enough that it, it was early enough that I gained a following doing that and it's kind of grown to what it is now. But that's definitely been the way I've been able to share music with lots of people. I mean, obviously, I don't know, like 10 years ago, playing with the same guys, mm. trying to do it, you know, we would work jobs and then we would go out and gig every weekend and try and connect with as many bands as we could and share music on what was in my space at the time. Um, but it didn't work. <laughs> we, we went at it for four years in debt collection. I worked in debt collection, and it was shit. Oh, you're so, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watch for the fro. I think uh, this, when the fro comes. this does sort of bring me to a point of um, how hard it is when you're DIY to find the balance mm. between being able to tour as much as you want to, being able to say yes to every opportunity that's given to you, and also having to work to pay your bills, to pay your rent. Um, whereas if you are on a major label and there is more funding, that liberates you in a way that nothing else can. So that is one plus for being signed to a major label. But uh, yeah, it is. DIY is a constant struggle. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would add to that and say that in our experience, all of us, and I'm sure here, everybody has a full-time job that they probably do, whether or not that job allows flexibility. The hardest thing is getting that flexibility from your day job to do what it is that you want to do and you know you get an email in and it's a tour offer and it's like you know we've all got to chat about it can we get the time off work and having to say no to that is 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 really you know it can be really really difficult especially when you're trying to balance that fine line but at the same time it's like if you want to progress sometimes at one point you've got to make that sacrifice and you've just basically got to calculate that risk all between yourselves and find out if it's you know if it's if it's worth it Oh, she showed up finally. Hey. Rock star, major. <laughs> um, and on, on the DIY front as well, I think 
one thing that's not really emphasized, and definitely something that's allowed us as, as a band in Frontier to do what we do is having an excellent team. Now, the record label will provide you with a team, um, ideally. Uh, so, someone that's your friend as well as somebody who's working for you in a professional capacity. We're just fortunate enough that our team are our friends and they're really good at what they do. And that's the way that we want to continue growing. And if there's a major label involved in that, we want to get close to them personally before we get into the business side of it. Because then, you know, business is business, personal is personal, but you want to be able to have that relationship and just be flat out honest and say with some opportunity or something that, yeah, we could do this, we can't manage this and not have to always dress it up in a, you know, be professional, but not dress it up in you know, a certain way every time when you're, uh, when you're providing your response to whatever that is. I feel like you guys have resisted uh, being part of a label for a long time. Is that true? It's not. It's not necessarily. Okay, it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so it isn't. Isn't. But part of that is looking at our influences and our other bands that we really liked and seeing how they've been treated. Um, and I mean, we watched your documentary before, obviously. Oh, yeah. um, uh, just to I, say, there's a Car Carbon made an incredible documentary which is on YouTube, which is about why well, I guess like. The struggles of being in a band, and it's fucking amazing. It's a bit of a depressing watch, if you don't mind yourself. Yeah, it's not a, it's not going to uplift your spirits and make you want to be in a band for sure. So proceed with caution. Well, you know, we ha we have had offers, um, and, and you know, it, it's the, the offer comes in, but the email that you get, it's it's you know, you get it from whatever label. I'm not going to name them, and it, it is just still a very standard approach. It's not, you know, I've had people being like, hey, I like the band. Uh, can you send me new material? And it's like, no. Like, you know, like, pe people sometimes, especially on labels, don't really go that extra mile. Like, I'll give one example. Holy Word did, and I'll mention this, Justine has approached us before, and uh, we do want to work with them in some capacity in the future. But they, you know, they're our friends, they're really personal, they approach us about it, and we've talked about it, and we, you know, we send emails back and forth and stuff. So it'd be great to explore something with them in the future. But you know, the, the bigger labels and stuff is just sometimes it's just very generic, and you can actually, you know, people always give bands shit for being like unprofessional or not having the shoelaces tied. But you'd be really surprised. There's a lot of people in the industry at higher level that, you know, don't know their shit either, and it's kind of embarrassing. And it's really, it's really disheartening as well. Actually, that's a very cynical view, but that's my, from my personal experience. Uh, we should say for the people on audio that Justine has turned up with a six-pack and uh, <laughs> a, a little white line uh, down her nose and some sunglasses. Uh, I think that's a bit of sick on your shirt. Uh, how, are you okay, Justine? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, any mechanics in the room, come hit me up if you want some free merch because we have problems. <laughs> <laughs> They're having van issues, so like, if anyone knows, like, please. Um, you have started started sucking from the corporate teeth. Uh, uh, <laughs> starting to a major. Um, how long have you been on a major now? Um, so we've been on a major for what? Like we signed officially like this time last year. Okay. It's about a year. And how's that then? I mean, yeah, it's really good. Like I wouldn't recommend it if you're a band on your first or second album because I kind of feel. You need to spend time like developing your own sound and sort of really like working out like from the ground up like how to be a band because everyone thinks oh like, I'm on a major now I've made it come and look at our van like it's <laughs> there's no money but um so yeah because like everyone's like you think you've made it when you've done a major there's still a lot of hard work involved uh, and I think it's really important for like bands to sort of 
you know, uh, experience the joy of playing squats and uh, small venues and playing to drunk men. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing as well, with, with the major thing is that, that whatever you take on, that's a debt, that's a mortgage. Like, depending on what the deal is, with the range of whatever it is, the cash that they want to offer you, that is a debt that you, you're, you're owed. So whether you play that out of touring and, and the grind of like an album cycle and stuff, you know, that's, that's on you. And if you can't do it and your band quits and you have, you know, there's so many things, you know, a band is basically a five-way, you know, marriage relationship. And then you've got the crew and stuff too. If anything, you know, just happens and the band can't continue, you've still got that, that tab at the end of the day. And that's why us personally, like, we don't want to take that on. We'd rather, we just see how far we can get our own. And then if it gets to a point where, you know, there's some sort of agreement otherwise where we're going to financially benefit probably never going to happen in our lifetime then we'll consider it but yeah i like what you said about how it's really important to develop your sound first and i haven't really heard that from anybody before so i'm really curious how that plays out in the next couple of records for you guys because you guys definitely have your own sound which is great and i do think that's really important because one of the things is why we're not looking for a label is because we take the music really seriously. We want to keep it 100% ours as far as like the creative process and all that. And we do some weird shit, so it's weird. <laughs> so that's first. And I think once you're starting to do art for money, things kind of change either consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. So if you have your sound already in place and a label is really into that, then that could be beneficial for both people, which is great. I, oh, yeah, sorry. No, you can. <laughs> this is a very British thing to happen. We're all hugging the mic. Um, and yeah, like I sort of sort of elaborate what I mean for like finding your sound. So when you've got like a team of people who put a lot of money in your band, it's very like this isn't happened to us, but it's happened to bands I like, know. It's very easy to sort of be very like swayed, like oh make a single or like kind of start changing your sound. So if you're like got that confidence as musicians um, and as people to be like no, this is what we want. Um, you can actually very much make uh, sort of major labels and things like that work around you. I mean, this might be my final last words. We might turn into a pop act, so you know, make quote me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think it's like having confidence. And it's nothing like they're like not these big business suits who are trying to like force you into it. It's just they see that they put a lot of money in a band. They're like, I don't know, man. I guess we'll do a song. And they're just like, we put loads of money in you. Um, so yeah, like I think it's important to have that confidence. And at the end of the day, if you want to do this for money, you're horribly mistaken. Yeah. You've just answered my question. <laughs> what was your question? Um, it was about sort of the compromise of being on a major label, um, whether uh, sort of it affects your writing process, even like on a subconscious level. There's, like I say, there's so much more involved outside of the band now. There's more people to please. So does that affect how you're writing an album when you know it's for a major label? It's kind of hard, because we wrote this one pre-major. Um, I can't obviously speak for anyone, but Spine Farm are great. So our label manager, Darren, um, owns Siege of Amida Records. So he's like a kind of almost like a me, um, but he's been in the industry a lot longer. Like he's worked with independent labels. So he's very much like an independent manager who's gone to a major label. So he's uh, very great and like understanding and like the whole team at Spine Farm Unfortunately, not the uh, the horror stories that you hear. Um, but yeah, like to sort of answer your question, like we never, obviously I'd be lying if we worry about what other people think. Um, but for the most part, we're so sort of self-aware um, and like we're so self-deprecating. I feel like we would whittle out any rubbish, hopefully. 
it's really interesting that people's view of like a major label is either, oh my God, you've made it, or are you gonna get absolutely fucked? There is no <laughs> in between. There is no in between, you know? And, and that's the thing, it's like, if you're in a band and you're DIY, have that hand, have a job, have stability, have everything in your life to say, if somebody gives you a shit offer and say, no, fuck off, like that's it. Like I know that sounds brutal and I know that sounds, for the way I'm saying it, it sounds really rude, but in my mind it's like, you know, don't, don't sacrifice too much, especially when it comes to the creative side, Justin, you made a really, really interesting point. It's like, you know, you wanna write what you wanna write and not what the label wants you to write. And Greg, again, you've alluded to a really interesting point that, you know, you, you, you're probably gonna have that, if you don't have it consciously from someone, subconsciously, there might be like an inclination to like, maybe we do, now that we own this label, maybe we do need to make it a bit, maybe a bit more accessible, just to see if that kind of changes things with the new dynamic with the label. So absolutely right, really good points. Well, there's also that concern of like wanting to keep your band sounding exactly the same. Like I want Svalbard's third album to be a dream pop album. Like. <laughs> Shelter by Alcest, um, it's not going to happen because there's that sort of, uh, once you get sort of two albums in, you've got a repertoire of elements no. in your sound. <laughs> no, do whatever you want. No. Yeah. Well, this Make a dream what, pop out. Well, that sounds awesome. Well, this is what I was going to say, and I feel that um, perhaps signing to a major label as well, I, I mean, I don't know, we're not on one, but it does, uh, it sort of, almost mold the band into a cookie cutter set of ideas which you're restrained by and you can't deviate too far from. You don't want to surprise the label too much. I think it depends on your deal as well. Like, I mean, if you have a strong negotiating hand and you say like, you know, I mean, good example of that would be, from what I understand, Code Orange. Just says that we want to write the music, we want to write, we're gonna send a Roadrunner, but we're just gonna do our own thing and they are doing their own thing and, you know, the label, presumably weighed up the, the risks and factors and thought, okay, we're, we'll allow them to do that and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll pump money into them and they'll be absolutely huge. And they are, they're doing really well, but they've been doing grind for years, touring and touring and stuff. So they're always gonna have that experience that humbles you, I think, as well, no matter how yeah. big you are. That's a band that like works their ass off. We were talking about before, like even if you're signed to a major, like you have to work more. I've never seen a band like tour more than those guys when they first got uh, was it Forever, when Forever came out? Like, they were on tour for like eight months or something, like ridiculous. And because they, they have an obligation, they gotta meet it, yeah. And they got all those great opportunities. Like, they were playing stadiums with Slipknot, yeah. which, you know, what more could you ask for, you know? I think, I mean, I think the through line with all of these bands is there isn't any compromise in their music whatsoever. You know, you've got crazy instrumental prog, you've got like blackened sort of, uh, pop, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and, and sort of also in, and I mean, I don't know what the fuck we've got here. Uh, <laughs> but, like, robot wars. <laughs> yeah, robot wars, like robots just kicking the shit out of each other. Like, but like there is no compromise at all with any of these bands. And I think that's the through line, which th this is something that I think people can relate to and see when they, uh, even if they don't consciously realize it, they can see that you're not compromising and the respect that those people have for that is, is absolute. And I think that is a major reason as to why you guys are succeeding on the levels that you are succeeding, you know? Um, I think that's really, really important and that's uh, why we wanted to get these guys together, really. Um, I'm just wondering, 
if we should go to, I'd really like to open it up actually for audience questions because um, so many of you have turned up and some of you might actually have some questions. So yeah, please. Um, on a slight tangent, what is your... An arc tangent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, um, what would be your approach for a small band is looking for management? Like when do you think is the right time? Like do you uh, support it? Do you resist it? Is that for everybody what? or anyone? Uh, every, everyone. So just for, just for audio people, what's your approach as a small band for management? Yeah, like when to look for management, what to look for, yeah. why you should be looking for management, etc. Management is an unnecessary middleman. Save your money, put your money into making great records and touring. Yeah. You don't need it. You don't, we don't have a manager, like, and that's going to be one of the last things that we get. I, I agree. I agree in principle, and I, but I would say there are people out there in bands who may be really talented, and they can do everything else. They're really invested in the art, but they they can't manage themselves. They just don't have the skill set. Like they don't know what to do. And I think in that case, it can work. But personally, for me, I agree with Serena that you know, manage yourself and 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 take on the responsibility of learning everything you can and absorbing as much knowledge. Because it's all out there, and it's especially like today, it's it's free. So learn from mistakes as well. You know, you'll make mistakes. I don't think it. it, it there's no uh, one size fits all with that question. So, I if you're like just playing like small little club shows and still opening, don't you don't need a manager. I think like we started getting management when it became too much for me personally to handle with a full time job, because um, I have to I work on the road and stuff. So it's like I'm on twenty four seven. Um, so for us, like getting a manager was when I couldn't personally start doing everything myself. Um, and like also when you collect, like get a manager, you need to be so careful. It's like having a sixth band member. Like if they're misrepresenting you, like it's you're in big trouble. Um, but fortunately, like ours are like uh, new like other members to us, um, and they do help a lot. But it's it's one of those things. It's like another like major label kind of issue, like where. There's like, everyone's like demonizing all of them. Like, it's not like um, with like, is it Rolling Stones who got really stung? And all the old bands who got really stung with management. It's not like that anymore because there's no money. So, um, <laughs> I guess this is like the underlying topic here, isn't it? <laughs> but um, yeah, like it's, I think it goes what's right for your band. Like if it makes sense to get a manager, then get a manager. But if it doesn't, then just self-book because it's actually really fun just like, sorting out all your own stuff. It's much more rewarding. It's like your own, it's like your own kid, if you know what I mean, like dressing it up in little outfits. Are you making like flyers and things? It's just very rewarding. Uh, Beer, your manager is actually a massive advocate and a supporter of Riot Act podcast. So can you say something nice about management? <laughs> yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Um, we, uh, <laughs> thanks. Um, we're self-managed, so I suppose, I, I don't know what your situation is, but for us it's obviously slightly different in the sense it's very DIY. The people that we work with that are surrounded by us are people we've kind of grown up with. They've all taken interests in different areas of music, whether it be industry, business, you know, like being in bands, all that stuff. And so that's how Dan is our manager, because he took an interest into management, into, you know, social media and marketing and, and label stuff and business. And to be fair, we Ben, our drummer as well, is very much into that stuff as well because they run musicism together. They have a business, so um, it, you you kind of we just stuck together. I think so. When it came to all that stuff, we started to see results and just by playing gigs and seeing the ad campaigns he was doing and 
I don't know if you've got people around you that uh, take interest in that, but for anybody that does, you know, that's something because we trust him as well. So it's kind of like it's in. It, that's why it's still very DIY because it's a mate we've grown up with. So I think that having friends thing is vital. You know, like surrounding yourself with friends and making them a team. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say the same thing. So we don't have a manager either, but we have people that we work with on the regular for. Like we have a sound guy, we have like lighting people, we have other people, like you know, booking agents, but we don't have a manager. So there are certain things that we can do as a band. Like we, you know, we can do artwork, we can do recording, we can do producing, but we can't do booking. We can't do like lighting and sound. So if you feel like you know you need certain things in your band, maybe it's more specific. So maybe you can get someone who can do something specific, like some specific task. And we found that's been working really well for us because we can sort of manage like, oh, you know, we don't need a sound guy this time, or we don't need this, or we definitely need like a lighting guy for the show. You can kind of pick and choose your budget based on that. Solution, have a manager in your band. No, I say that. <laughs> Dan, our guitarist, who's just there, I can see him peeking over in the corner. He, he actually used to manage bands up until about a year ago, and uh, he managed them, so I watched you from afar for a little bit. And, uh, I haven't heard of them. Have, no, I mean, either. I think they, they might be playing some festival sometimes. Oh, I don't know. Um, I heard it was tall. <laughs> <laughs> um, but having, having his skill set, I mean, he, he doesn't strictly manage the band, but he brings a lot of skills into the band. And, you know, everybody has a role, everybody has something that they provide. And having him in the band is very beneficial from a managerial point of view. So if in doubt, have your guitarist be a manager as well, just by chance. I, I, just to echo what you were saying, like, I think booking agent has been the single best thing we did, actually more than management. Because I, like I said before, we kind of try and manage ourselves, but when we met our booking agent, we started to get the kind of gigs we've been trying to get, but someone just gives you direction with that and takes care of it. So I, w I would say that's probably more valuable for, well, definitely more valuable, yeah. Cool, thank you. Does anyone else have any questions? Uh, I'm gonna go to you. Hello. How do you not piss off friends who offer you stuff? <laughs> is how I'm gonna <laughs> make that. How did I not upset Alex? <laughs> <laughs> you did upset Alex. <laughs> um, so, when we, like with Holy Raw, we always want our bands to do like the best they can, and because of me being very, very involved, like I mean, I'm label manager. I couldn't be more involved with the label. Um, so, to sort of answer your question, I think you just got to handle things delicately. And, you know, and just be like, really think about the situation, because obviously you don't want to burn bridges of anyone. Um, but I'm trying to think. So it just made sense, because I wanted to give everything I could to both projects. And the only way I could do that is by separating, having another team work on Employed to Serve, and then me solely, like, you know, work on Holy Raw. Um, and, but like, yeah, so to upset others, I think you just got to work out what's right for your band and with like basically damage control as much as you can. Um, but uh, it was hugs, fine. Hugs, a lot of hugs. <laughs> hugs, not drugs. 
joking. Uh, has, has anyone else have a question? Hello. Yeah. Um, so obviously with like Spotify and stuff, now it's never been easier for bands to get their music out there. But there's also so many bands. How do you stand out from the crowd? Like, what do you do to get your name in front of the right people? How do you stand out in the streaming model of the 21st century? Play lots of shows. Like, there's been so many bands who've just been like, yeah, like applying to our label, being like, oh, we've done this and this and this, and we've got X amount of streams. It's like, cool, what, are you playing shows though? Like, you need, you literally, like, with this digital world, I feel like people actually forget, like, the sole purpose of a band is to play live and record music. Um, so, yeah, if you want to get attention, like, tour as much as you can, take every shit off it you get given at the beginning just to get really good as a live band, and people will find you. Because, like, you know, people like us, we go to lots of shows constantly. We're constantly looking at magazines and, you know, lots of word of mouth. Like, word of mouth is how most of our bands get signed. Every opportunity that Svalbard have had has come via playing a show. Like, we met playing a show. We met Holy Raw playing a show. Uh, we've met other bands that we've gone on to tour with. So I definitely 100% agree with that, that just getting out there and making sure that your live show is powerful and not just, you know, something where people are going to stand and go, God, my feet hurt, um, <laughs> is probably the most important thing. Um, also, stick around with the other bands and help them load out their gear if you're borrowing it. Because I cannot tell you how many people have not done that with us, and we're just like, they've left before we've even played. And we're just like, they're not very nice people, but you don't want to take them on tour. So, like, it's just being, like, not, you know, as in, like, disingenuous like but just be nice to people say hello go hey thank you for having me just say be nice just so like sound people because there's so much like i you know like self-entitlement i think sometimes like you know i deserve to be here you have to like be nice to me but i can be like treat you terribly i think that like really carries you because at the end of the day you'll have like a really nice like scene around you of bands who will be like hey, I can't do this show, but my friend's band are great and they'll be good. Like, there's so many times where that's happened as well. Opportunities are coming up all the time. Um, quite recently, uh, you know, Black Peaks had to pull out of um, the Gojira shows. I mean, who the fuck wouldn't want to play with Gojira? You know what I mean? And, uh, oh, fuck, who was the band? Was it Dead Hands? Something like that. Dead, Dead Label. Dead Label, thank you. Dead Hands are great, though. <laughs> Dead Hands are great. But, you know, like, they got this opportunity, like, a couple of days beforehand because they were like, yeah, we're ready, we'll do it, you know? And that, that speaks volumes, you know? So, yeah, be ready. Be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> for us, it's, for Frontier, it's been a combination of the two. So the internet and, like, people, word of mouth on the internet has just, like, you know, in my mind, like, ex exploded us, and it's absolutely insane. And then with the limited capacity, we have to do shows per year based on the fact that we all work full-time. We're trying to take them all, and every time we do them, we do take them. It's just like it just magnifies everything more than the internet actually could. Um, so it, it it is a bit of both. I think for me personally, you've got to try and find a balance. I if you're if you're too available, people will know that you're just constantly there. And I think if you are kind of in the shadows and you have other things in life that allow you to play shows, but on a more kind of semi-regular basis people will turn up because they'll appreciate the fact that you're taking you know your time out your holiday wherever to come and do it and you have the privilege of playing to all these people um so don't get put off by the fact that you can't always play every show that's come to you do what you can and just make it the best every time and try to make your life show great 
I also think, just to add uh, creatively, think about what actually makes your band unique and special because most bands do all sound the same now. Sorry. And, <laughs> and you know, subgenres with their little sort of uh, list of requirements for you to fit into each mold uh, makes it quite hard to stand out now. Um, so I think it's important, like, one sort of evolution that happened with Svalbard was lyrically on our first album, it's all pretty emo. And uh, then after sort of, because I write for magazines as well, reviewing lots of bands, I noticed that lyrically uh, heavy music's quite tropey. Um, so I wanted to kind of think of a way to use lyrics differently to make us stand out, to give them a bit more power. So I started running with the sort of feminist topics that we talk about now. Um, and I think that's definitely something to bear in mind. And once we started doing that, like the Guilty Feminist podcast retweeted us. And they're not, you know, even a music-based um, platform. So there's definitely think about ways to make yourself special in a scene that's oversaturated. I think having those sorts of lyrical themes gives it an emotional resonance and an emotional weight, which makes it even heavier. Um, so, you know, I mean, we've got a lot of heavy bands here, but like, there, there are very, very emotionally wrought things that you can get out of having very uh, open and very exposed lyrics, I suppose. Um, and I think, yeah, as Serena says, God, there's so much bullshit lyrics in metal particularly. It's fucking ridiculous, you know. Um, we say on this podcast a lot, actually, and, you know, I, I don't want to be too kind of like, I'm an ally! But I think women are really showing the guys how it's done at the moment in terms of, because guys are just like, war, annihilation! And <laughs> women are actually writing about shit that actually matters a lot more, I find, as someone who, like, listens to music for a living, I find, personally, I can usually get behind the lyrics that women write more than the lyrics men write. That's obviously a massive generalization, but you know, generally that's the, that's what I see. Um, and it's far more exciting, you know. Um, the Ridiculously Tall Giant. How do you make a successful merch site? Of a band or a label? Or both? How do I have shit designs? <laughs> yeah. Basically, put a cat on your t-shirt. <laughs> yes. Yeah, cat people were interesting, man. Like, so we had a, a dog and a cat t-shirt, and we had an argument on our photo going, no man, but cats are way better. They're like housemates. Like you don't have to look after them as much. But then they was like, no, dogs are way better. They're not gonna like shaft you. <laughs> um, to sort of answer your question, if you would buy it, then it's usually pretty good. Unless you buy terrible clothes. <laughs> I'm gonna say something kind of practical. <laughs> Put the band name here, yeah. not here. No one wants to draw attention to their tummy. <laughs> and also you can look at other bands' websites and see their whole collection. Like, I love the way the Deftones 
uh, merch looks. They always have this crazy like Cali vibe going on, and that's not really what we do. But I like how they just do their own thing. So you can go to like any major like band or even you know a smaller band. Check out what they have. Take a screenshot on your phone or on your computer and just make a folder of those so you can reference them and be like, and when you have a design that you're doing yourself or someone gives you, put it up next to those and see if they sort of have the same resonance or the same feeling you're looking for. Yeah, I was, uh, to add to that, there's a massive merch tent behind you. <laughs> and in there are loads of designs that if some of them stand out to you, I suppose, that's kind of more your vibe of the kind of merch you'd like to make. So. It's a really good place to start. Yeah, it's like music. Like when you're writing music, you just you copy your influences first, and then you kind of tweak it and tweak it until it's your own. Do the same thing for art too. Yeah, don't neglect like the clothing aspect as well. People have to wear that shit. So really invest in a, a designer, or if you're you are the designer, just really really consider it and how that visual aspect lines up with your music. And yeah, I definitely agree with that. It has to line up with your music. It can't be. I think, well, I don't know. Sometimes designs are just great and you'd wear them because they look cool. But at the same, and that works if you're in a band as well. But for us, I think we like to have merch that kind of just kind of goes with the music, I suppose. Or at least yeah. it, it's relatable. There are exceptions though. Like the dude with the party cannon t-shirt, he wants to turn around and show yeah, I mean, everyone that great, great yes. bit of merch. <laughs> exactly. That's just one have example cool where they didn't, uh, they didn't uh, imitate their uh, <laughs> Um, I must give a shout out to Pine and Conjurer as well because they have brought t-shirts uh, that have stolen Godspeed You Black Emperor's design and as a result of that people were like oh Godspeed are the secret band um, and loads of people have been buying their t-shirts thinking that Godspeed are here they're not genius fucking genius Brady's a cunt though uh, you following on from like the idea of the theme when you go to write a Uh, when you're writing themes to a record, uh, themes. To, do you write themes to music or music well, when, to the when, themes? When you're writing music, do you write your themes to the music you're writing, or do you write the music based on something you feel like you have to say? Okay. Okay. I have a rant diary, and I write in it every day. <laughs> and then once Svalbard finally get our asses in gear and have eight songs uh, ready, I go through it and I compile all the best rants and uh, sort of try and cram them over the songs awkwardly. Uh, and Serena's that's how book. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's my burn book. <laughs> I think like everybody here kind of does different things. So like me and Greg probably do more instrumental stuff than, than lyrical stuff, right? And I don't know the beer, how, 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 yeah, like everybody's inputs are kind of different, so. Yeah. I think it literally varies massively. I mean, I think most bands, um, because you're so close as band members, tend to go through a lot together at the same time. Because um, I like to think most bands are like best friends um, and they can share stuff. So generally speaking, they kind of have a topic that they'll have in mind whilst writing a record. Um, and then the songwriters of the bands, usually the guitarist, um, will just be like, I've got this riff and I might have something that fits it. Or like the guitarist might have um, like lyrics already in mind, like a chorus or something. Um, so it really varies. I think like we personally don't restrict ourselves on it. Like it's just um, a feeling. Here's an interesting. Oh. Thing. Can I ask a question, Renfrew? I'm not to take your job, but no, it's fine. 
How many of you guys actually write in the room, and how many of you don't do any writing in the room whatsoever, and you, you do all? We always room? write in the room. That's the only way it gets done. <laughs> I, well, I totally only write so. in the room. Mainly at home for us, but we do like work out a lot of stuff in the room as well. Basically, practice is really expensive. I, I pretty much write in the closet. <laughs> Same. You and Sammy will get on. Yeah, turn all the lights off. You know, close all the windows and pray no one hears what I'm writing. How do you get all your effects into a closet? That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> it's a secret formula. He's not allowed to discuss. No, lyrically, uh, it depends. So, I, you know, Mike's not here, but he does most of the lyric writing. And he does it based on what he hears in the music, but usually doesn't relate to it in a weird way. So, it's, and what, when we're recording stuff, he's not afraid to experiment and try different things and... Sometimes like a, a vocal arrangement or you know copying in another band might sort of spark another idea. So I would say like if you're however approach you have, don't be afraid to experiment. Uh, yes. How do you how do you make uh, artwork and music run in tandem together? Yeah, I would say be open to a visual idea if it comes to you. If you're working on new material, and even if you get multiple visual ideas that come to you, just get it on paper or get a screenshot of it or something. Like just like like don't leave it in your head because in your head you're gonna forget it and it's not gonna be the same way as it is. And also, if you have a visual idea and you document it, put it on the shelf and come back three months later, you might be like, wow, that was a really bad idea. I'm glad I didn't do that, you know? Like it gives you some, giving that time and distance gives you some perspective and that comes from just putting stuff down on paper or you know, taking screenshots and stuff like that. So I would say just always do it. And whenever you find something that you like, you know, make a note of it. Super quickly, just to interject. I think the new Carbon record is a really good example of art and music colliding really well because I've already teased Greg about this, but there's a uh, the first single that they released. Uh, Greg's guitar sounds like a laser gun, and you know the band, and like it's kind of this really weird neon. I mean, there's a lot of shit going on in it, but I can't look at that cover without thinking. So yeah, so I think yeah we, we kind of lucked out like we think and like the, the music and the visuals are kind of the same for us yeah. if that makes kind of sense like when we think of music we think of it as like a timeline and things going up and down and colors it's like what is that called uh, there you go thank you so um, that's I don't know I guess for us that's what works and I think a lot of inspiration came from that was from watching Meshuggah play live and seeing their light show which is it's all in sync with the music and it helps people digest it. So if there are opportunities to do stuff like that, that's cool. Um, we hired this guy, uh, Ben Levin, who plays guitar in this band called Bent Knee, which actually just released a single. It's phenomenal. And uh, he does music videos, so hit him up on Instagram and uh, if you're looking for stuff to do. He does some great stuff. I've always found it quite hard to match um, the music with imagery. 
uh, and both of our albums have actually just been based on what manga I was reading at the time. <laughs> so the last one is pretty much a scene from Berserk. Um, <laughs> and that's basically where um, the visual side of Svalbard comes from. But that is my one, if I'm honest, I have a bugbear that I have with Svalbard is I find we're not that consistent with our image. We have three different logos. We have albums, <laughs> you know, you speak. I love it when you get a band like My Dying Bride, you put all their albums together and like, it looks like a jigsaw puzzle because they're all, you know, they match and they have a theme. Right, but at the same time, like Tool has a new logo for every album and I love that. That's amazing. So it could work both yeah. ways. <laughs> I think that for us, we, uh, before doing the artwork for the last album, we decided we were going to be really self-indulgent and go full prog snobs. So we like, we were like, we're going to do like, just a picture that that reflects this world that we just tried to make with the music, and it was very much find the most psychedelic random kind of artwork person and just work with that. And it was definitely a that's what we want to do before, rather than something just kind of cropping up that that kind of worked, I suppose. For Frontier, the first album was literally Google. Optical Illusions stock art orange. <laughs> yeah. Over did the same cover later, and it was hilarious. And the second time, it was a lot more considered. So we have a dedicated designer, Mitchell, who used to play uh, bass in Mother Band section, and me and him just we just stay up late at night and just constantly bounce off really stupid ideas. Like, what if we like I don't know, and I can't even think right now. But there's like really things we know we're not going to practically achieve, and then from doing that, from brainstorming, whittle down to something. And the cover that we did for Unloved, the second album, that came as a total surprise. Like, we didn't know anything about it. We just had talked about some themes. We talked about using some ferrofluid stuff. And he just produced the cover. And it was like, without even hesitating, it was like, that's it. Like, you know, sometimes you just know, like, that. Like, that's that's it. No no more touching it. Like, it's done. That's it. Um, i say one more thing about the visual thing. Uh, another good idea, too, is to compile a vision board. I don't know if you know what that is. So yeah, like, again, if you like an album cover, like put it in a folder, and then uh, if you know Photoshop or anything like that, put a bunch of images that you like together, and once you see them all at once, you'll get this other idea. It's like, oh, I like the color of this, but I like that shape, and I like that aesthetic, or that dude, or whatever. And you'll get other ideas, which will jumpstart other images in your head, which will put you on a direction of doing things. I I'm completely gonna do agree with that. Well, I actually, that's how we came with our album cover. I just, you're flicking for Instagram, and you, you'll just be like, that's a cool picture. And then they end up going in your favorites folder, and then when you open it up, you're like, you pick out elements of it, and that's what we did with ours. Yeah, definitely. I forgot about that. That doesn't work with me. Did I cut you off? Sorry. No, it's all good. Um, I only follow dogs on Instagram, so. <laughs> just have a dog album cover. Um, for us, we've actually just found an artist we really like working with. It's Bite Radius. He does stuff for like Black Dahlia Murder and stuff. Um, and with how that, how we work with that is uh, Sammy usually has a strong visual idea of what he wants to go with music, and then I crudely draw it on a napkin or the back of a receipt, and I go, Gary, make this better. And he's very good at it, so there you go. I feel like the warmth of a dying sun uh, artwork has become... <laughs> has become like ridiculously iconic already like the amount of shirts you see with that sun image on it it feels like something that like in several years time when people look at that image they'll think of this era of music so you know i think like it's just a fucking wicked cover teleport motion yeah, screw cool. cover. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes um, when you're in a smaller band what do you recommend releasing 
Okay. When you're in a smaller band, do, uh, do you recommend releasing singles, EPs, or albums? I'm a fan of EPs because they're low commitment, and you can. It's only four songs. Most people can just do four songs, and then like so. Free to yes, I think we did three EPs, and also like an album, such a big investment in terms of studio time because you're going to want to record your album properly um so i think like singles aren't enough for people to get into like there's not it's not a good overview of the band um so i think like sort of a four track ep is kind of like in my eyes quite perfect it's amazing how in metal we're really resistant to like the single culture that like has sort of pervaded a lot of electronic dance music not saying that it's a bad thing because i'm fully for albums um but for me it's if you're a band and you're just starting out, I think the, the per best thing for me personally that you can do is write an album and, and just be really happy with it. But if you know your creative limits are, I can only write an EP at this, t t uh, this point in time, then that's it. But for me personally, I'd say just go full out and do an album first time and see how it goes. Just keep in mind that making a record takes a long time to do it right, a long time. So if you want to do that, which is great, you know, I'm a big fan of albums too, just be prepared to work a little harder. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of EPs. I think as for me, it's a nice amount of yeah commitment to put into it. You know, yeah. I don't have much else to say on that. Do EPs, in my opinion. I don't know if commitment's the right word because it makes it feel like you're half-assing. Like I'm not disrespecting what you're saying, but I'm like saying like oh, I'm not prepared to put that commitment in the first time and just do like an album and be like, oh, and like even if you you want people waiting, I think people rush to say like, I want to get something out, like people need to know about us now and then we can just like, we have that out, that's a reference point, we can wait and we can do the big thing. I think that's from my experience of releasing EPs and stuff before, I just got so fed up of it that I was like, just need to go the full hog and just do it and if it does shit, it does shit. We learn from it and then you, you move on. So you could do it that way as well if, that's, if that works for you. I think whenever we've written in, because we always write in the practice room, um, you know when a collection of songs sit together so we released three EPs before we released our debut album, and those songs, like the first couple, they, they went together, so they were an EP, and then we had four songs which went together on the next EP, and they just, they're almost like little time capsules of a specific era of the band, and you'll, as you're playing them, you'll know when they fit together, and then gradually, I think, as you, once you've done a few EPs and you're more kind of comfortable in your writing process as a band, that's when it's time to start thinking about creating an album because it is a different process. Um, it's a, a lengthier process, it's, yeah, and quite hard. I think we have time for one more question and, and this gentleman here put his hand up first, so. Oh, it's gotta be a short question. Uh, do you uh, okay? Uh, do you ever write like the commercial aspirations? Is that fair? Okay, and uh, yeah, touring with uh, problematic. Are you Tools booking agent? <laughs> Are you looking for a band? <laughs> uh, the, the answer I would strongly suggest to not write music that's commercially viable because you're gonna sound like every other band. I would strongly, really strongly suggest that you write music that's yours because 
the reach that's available now, and like you said, like you know, bands are found by word of mouth. They're not found by you know, you know, press or all that stuff. Really strong bands that make a really big impact are ones that come out of left field. So I would really strongly suggest that you not make commercial music. You can use commercial elements in it, but don't do it for that reason. Like if you love commercial music and that's the music you want to make, great. But if you really hear this other thing in your head, make that. I think you can tell when it's been forced. Like some bands naturally write fantastic pop records, bands like Mew, and that's very organ organic and authentic. And so it's great, it has that integrity to it. But you can hear when a band is watering down. You can hear when the guitars are getting thinner and the choruses are getting kind of simplified. I always think that's the key element in sort of uh, people being obviously trying to go a bit more mainstream is when the music gets a bit more simple. Um, so don't do it deliberately, but if you're a great pop band, be a great pop band. Well, that being said, too, also know when, um, like, we're, as Carbomb, you'll hear in the new record, we're kind of cognizant on, like, how long a song could be and when people kind of nod out. And maybe if you're, before recording a song and you're playing it, get a sense of, like, how the audience is feeling. And if... You really like this part, but everybody's kind of falls asleep during this part. Then maybe play it half as much, or you know, seventy-five percent as much. That's kind of dipping your toe into what you were trying to say, which is sort of molding your music into a way that's a little more digestible, I would say, as as opposed to accessible. And that's more of a creative process, not necessarily like a business decision. You know, another uh, interesting. Sorry. Well, I was just going to ask if anyone wanted to take the tour support question quickly because we have like one minute left, or is everyone too no. scared to touch that? <laughs> no. Yes. Anyone problematic, anyone who's been proven to be problematic, do not work with them. These people permeate the industry. Don't give them the chance to stay in the industry. Let's kick them out. Let's not give them the support. I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Um, I would like to thank the whole panel today. Thank you so much. This has been really cool. And guys, just give it up for our panel. And uh, Carbon are playing later today. Employed to Serve are playing later today. Please check us both out. They're fucking amazing. Thank you so much for turning up. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.